All of those are true. I'm thankful for the fact that he is so good and that he died for me and that he's coming back for me. And uh, those are great promises to, uh, to be thankful for. <clears throat> well, last, uh, last couple weeks, we've been uh, working our way through this one message, Knowing God. And uh, we're going to go ahead and try to finish this up tonight. But there are nine different attributes that we still need to cover. I'm going to go ahead and uh, start with the, 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 the next one. We're not going to do any review tonight because I do want to try to finish this. And uh, next time we meet... Um, and, are, and I'm, I'm able to continue this series, I want to cover the names of God in the scriptures. And uh, there's, that, that's a beautiful uh, study, and of course we won't dive as deep as I wish we could in it, but we are going to take some time to look at some of the names uh, given to God um, in the Word of God. Well, um, we're going to go ahead and start with um, uh, Hebrews uh, 13.8. Hebrews 13.8. Let's go ahead and turn over there, and this will kick us off with the, uh, the first attribute that we'll look at tonight. Um, Hebrews 13 and verse number 8 simply says, and most of us are familiar with this verse, it says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. And that leads us to our first uh, attribute that we find in, that we're going to be looking at tonight. And the fact is, God is immutable. He never changes. Uh, God is immutable. Um, Malachi chapter number three and verse number six is another reference here for, this is the Old Testament reference that says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. In uh, Hebrews chapter 1 and verse number 10, it says, And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest. And they shall all wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall fail not. What a great little passage that talks about how this world is going to go through all kinds of change and all kinds of uh, craziness, but God remains the same. And aren't you glad that in the midst of the craziness that is currently happening in this world and, and uh, some of the things that we may see down the, in the future that are coming, it's great to know that look, God never changes. And I remember as a youth pastor, I would tell our teenagers as they're going through uh, a very radical time of change in their life. I mean, their body's changing, the boys, their voice is changing. <laughs> and uh, I always hated when my, when my voice was changing. My mom thought it was the cutest thing. And I'm like, that's not cute. That's not cute, mom. <laughs> stop, stop. <laughs> and, it, it, and every time I did that, it like kept squeaking. And so I, I just needed to learn to stop talking at all. But uh, that's the truth. I mean, teenagers, their whole world is changing. I mean, their body is going through a radical change, and uh, their whole world is changing, but, but God doesn't change, and, and He's that rock. And as we go through times of change in our life, maybe a transition, um, you know, maybe uh, you are going through a job transition, or maybe uh, a relocation from California to Oklahoma, 
uh, that's a big change, a big transition. It's good to know that God never changes and he's someone that you can trust and, and rely upon during it all. Hebrews 6.17 is another uh, reference, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath. So he is immutable, he never changes. And the verse that I started the service with, James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, cometh down from the Father of lights, get this, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So uh, there, there, God, God is unchanging. There, there's no variableness with God. You don't have to wonder, okay, is God having a good day? God is, in, is God in a good mood today? Or is he kind of having a bad day? Did he wake up on the wrong side of the bed? No, God is the same. He, his, his character is unchanging. Uh, God is the unchanging judge. He dispenses perfect justice at all times and in every circumstance never varying in any degree for any reason. Um, you know, sometimes my kids will uh, be, uh, and this, this is a little more back in the past. It doesn't happen as often anymore, but sometimes, occasionally it does, where they're not getting along with one another, and, and I'll have to come in and try to be the judge and, and help them uh, sort it all out. And, you know, sometimes... I get it right, sometimes I don't, but God always gets it right uh, because he's, he's perfect in that way. He is the unchanging father who loves his children always and disciplines them with perfect wisdom and goodness. And again, fathers like myself uh, don't always do that, but God does. He is the unchanging savior who died to offer salvation to all men and who unfailingly saves all who come to him. And uh, the verse that we started this attribute with, Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, uh, that if you're looking for a, okay, where in the Bible does it really point to the fact that Jesus Christ is God? Okay, Hebrews 13, 8 is a great verse to run to because the immutability of God is something that uh, was certainly very true uh, and emphasized in, this, in the Old Testament. But now here, that same attribute is applied to Christ, uh, which indicates, of course, that he is indeed God. And so, uh, because God is unchangeable, uh, his promises are certain, and his salvation is sure, uh, God's immutability is one reason why he is called faithful, and uh, we can trust God implicitly. We can be confident in believing in his word and in serving him. Whatever he is today, he will be tomorrow. Um, you know, you, you say, well, um, we live here in Oklahoma and the weather is so predictable here. Yeah, it's, this is probably one of the most unpredictable weather. This is probably the capital city of, capital area of the world of unpredictable weather. Um, and so, you know, God is predictable. In other words, he's the same. He, he's not going to change. Like, it's not going to... Like Monday, back here in Oklahoma, beautiful day, primo weather. Tuesday, way hot and humid. Today, way hot and humid. Tomorrow, but this weekend, it's going to be like a cold front's going to come in. So it's just constantly changing. And, and you just have to know that here. 
But, but God is the same. He doesn't change. He's not really loving one day and then eh, not so loving tomorrow. No, he is the same. And so that is something uh, really important for us to understand. Next attribute, let's keep moving here tonight. God is immutable, but then God is light. God is light. And 1 John 1.5 says, Then this then is the message which we have heard and declare unto you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. I love that. Uh, again, the verse that I started the service with, James 1.17, Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, cometh down from the Father of lights. So God is light means that he is 100% completely light and not darkness at all. There's no duality in God. He, he's not a mixture of good and evil and darkness and light. No, no, he is only good and only light. In contrast, when you compare our God, the God of the Bible, to the gods of paganism, um, you'll see that the gods of paganism are very dualistic. Uh, if you consider Hinduism for a moment, its gods are healers and destroyers. They're innocent and seducing. They're compassionate and cruel. They're holy and holy, faithful and unfaithful. Um, here's uh, one quote here from... Uh, Hindus, Hindu gods, goddesses, a book um, written with that title. And uh, one of their gods, Lord Siva, assumes various popular forms, sometimes fascinating and sometimes awfully formidable. He is the creator, protector, and annihilator. He is benevolent and uh, male, malevolent, which basically means he's kind and mean. Um, but, but our God is not. He is light. God is light means that he is the source of light. Remember in Genesis 1-3, in the beginning, uh, God created the heaven and the earth. Well, verse 3 says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Now, our natural light from the sun is God's creation, but God is light in his very essence. God was, li God was light before he made the sun. And before light shone upon this earth, uh, God was already light. And uh, he is the father of lights, and he will be the light of the new creation without means of the sun. Revelation 22, 5, There shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So God is light means that he is the fountain of all wisdom and knowledge, which is spiritual light. I like uh, John 1, verse 9, uh, says about Christ, That was the true light, which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. And John 8, and verse 12, Then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. And do you remember as we went through that early last year, as we went through the seven I am statements of Christ, we said that when Jesus said, I am the light of the world, that was the only I am statement that he gave to us. Uh, nowhere does it say, you know, um, ye are the life. Uh, no, but he does say, ye are the light of the world. And so we are, as believers, uh, supposed to be reflecting the light of Christ through us. Um, it's a lot like the moon. 
Uh, the moon has no light, but the, loon, the moon reflects the light of the sun to a dark world. And of course, that's supposed to be our uh, responsibility and a good description of our role as believers is to, uh, look, there's no light in us other than Christ, and uh, we're supposed to be, though, reflecting the light of Christ to a dark uh, and dying world. And so hopefully we're uh, working towards that and, and, uh, and, and striving to be the light of the world in that way. So God is light. Let's go to the next one. God is truth. God is truth. Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse number 4 it says, He is the rock. Uh, it talks about his immutability, immu- the fact that he never changes. Um, and it says, He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. In Psalm 31 and verse number 5, it says, O Lord God of truth. Yeah, the God is truth points us to the Bible as revelation of truth. Jesus defined truth as God's word in John 17, 17, when he had his high priestly prayer there uh, just after the upper room, right before he was there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed there and he said, thy word is truth. Sanctify them through thy word. Thy word is truth. And uh, when, when Jesus said that he is truth, in John 14, 6, remember when he said, uh, no, no man cometh unto the Father but by me? Before that, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when he said, I am the truth, he was identifying himself as God. Because God is truth. And so that, that particular statement was basically Jesus saying, I am God. And he is. So he was right to say so. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth four times. And uh, the truth, or the God is truth, means that he cannot lie. A couple times in the New Testament we find that uh, that particular statement. Uh, in Hebrews chapter number, I think, 6 and verse number 18, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. And then in Titus chapter number 1, Titus chapter number 1, and verse number 2, it says, In hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. So God is truth. And of course, because he is truth, guess what? You can trust him and you can trust his word because they are truth. And uh, yes, there is truth even in this fallen world, but there are also lies and errors. And we cannot know the truth apart from the divine revelation God has given us in Scripture. So everything must be tested by it. Um, This is the source of truth, and uh, of course God is as well. So God is truth. Uh, Next one, God is holy. God is holy. Leviticus 19.2, Ye shall be holy, for I the Lord, your God, am holy. Leviticus 21.8, I, the Lord, which sanctify you, am holy. Psalm 99, verse 9, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for the Lord our God is holy. Psalm 145.17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. We know in Isaiah and in the book of Revelation, those two times, he is the thrice holy God. 
In Isaiah 6.3, as Isaiah was brought into the throne room of, of the Lord, he heard this, one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And the whole earth is full of his glory. Holy is one of God's very names. In Isaiah 57, verse 15, I'm going to turn over there very quickly. This was a, uh, this was a memory verse uh, many, many months ago, uh, and it's a long one, so some of you might remember this one. Um, Psalm, or Isaiah 57, 15, For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with, with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So that was a long verse. But in that verse, it says that his name is holy. Not just that... That's not just an adjective, it's, it's actually his name. So God's name is holy. He is called the Holy One 50, 51 times in the scriptures, including 30 times in the book of Isaiah. And uh, he is considered the Holy One of Israel. Um, and of course, what does the word holy mean? Holy means set apart. It means different. See, the true God is different from the gods of this world. And he is completely separate and, and holy in everything. And his holiness permeates all of his works. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and holy in all his works. I already read that verse a moment ago. But as the Holy One, that means that God has no sin. There is no sin in the Lord. Habakkuk 1.13 says, Thou art of purer eyes than to behold evil and canst not look on iniquity. Job 34.10 says, Therefore hearken unto me, ye men of understanding, far be it from God that he should do wickedness, and from the Almighty that he should commit iniquity. So God has no sin, and of course we know that, but the word holy uh, indicates that as well. As the Holy One, God is righteous. Holy and righteous are used as synonyms, and uh, God is perfectly holy and righteous. As the Holy One, God judges sin. Sinful man is separated from God because, he, because of his absolute holiness. And uh, here's some practical applications of God's holiness in our lives. Of course, it's uh, one thing to know that he's holy, but it's another thing to live your lives in light of God's holiness. Of course, we're, we're instructed in, in Peter and in Leviticus to be holy because he is holy. So um, here's some practical applications of that. Uh, no God who in the slightest degree is unholy who are, or who in the slightest degree count um, uh, unholiness is the true God. The sinner must have no confidence in his own righteousness, but must obtain the righteousness of God for salvation as God's free gift by the atonement of Jesus Christ. So because he is completely and 100% holy, uh, there's nothing we can do on our own to earn our way to a relationship with God. Uh, so we have to, we must obtain righteousness, uh, the righteousness of God as a gift from God by the atonement of Christ. Okay? The uh, believer must then walk in light and confess our sins or we cannot fellowship with the holy God. So if we're walking in sin as a believer, 
we need to deal with that and get that settled and get that right. First John 5 through 10, and of course, we're familiar with verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us and uh, to cleanse us from our sin and to, uh, oh man, I'm messing that up. Everybody else probably knows it, and I would have known it if I didn't start doing it. First uh, John chapter number uh, 1. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, to, just in, to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There we go. Um, so uh, we, we must walk in light and confess our sins. We must also fear God for his holiness. Hebrews 12, 28, wherefore we receive a king, re- receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. Let us have grace whereby, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Now I realize that He's our Heavenly Father, He's our Abba Father, but we need to have that balance and that reverence for His holiness to where we do serve Him with that reverence and godly fear. Uh, Nehemiah talks about the fact that we can trust God's promises because His righteousness and holiness guarantee His faithfulness. And so there's some, uh, there's a lot of other things we could talk about here, but uh, let me continue on with the next one. So God is holy. Next, God is jealous. God is jealous. Now, a lot of times when we hear this, we kind of go, well, aren't we not supposed to be jealous and envious of others? Aren't we not supposed to compare others and what they have and be jealous of the fact that they have, you know, I don't know, uh, hair? <laughs> I mean, is, is God like that? Does he look and say, well, that's, I, does he have that same type of jealousy? No, no, no. That's, this is a little different. So listen to a few of these verses here. Exodus 20. These are, this is the Ten Commandments, the first time the Ten Commandments are listed in the Bible. Exodus 20. This is when God gave Moses those Ten Commandments. He says, Thou shalt have no other gods before me, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord, thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments." Uh, Deuteronomy 4 and verse 24, For the Lord thy God is a consuming fire, even a jealous God. So the meaning of the statement, I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, is clear from the context. It refers to the fact that God is man's creator, that God made man for himself. And uh, Brother Blake preached that on Sunday night, that all things were created by him and for him. So he created all of us for him. Um. And he is jealous for man's affection and worship. And by the way, he deserves our affection and our worship because he did create us. But not only did he create us, he also went to the cross for us. And so, yes, he absolutely deserves our affection, our, our worship. Man is to have no other gods. The creator rightfully should have the first place in the affections of his creatures which are made in his image, when those creatures worship and serve the crea- creation more than the creator, God is jealous and indignant. Um, God's jealousy over man is reflected in a husband's jealousy over his wife. 
Okay, for those of us who are married, us guys, um, some some dude starts stepping in. Uh, we start getting that, like, you better step off, dude. I don't care how big you are. Um, I got a gift. I got a gift from um, my uh, my kids for from Christmas that uh, says otherwise. You can have all the muscles you want. I've got I've got a got a twelve gauge saying, you know what? Uh, you better step off. Okay, <laughs> that's my wife. You don't you don't you don't get close to her. Um, she's mine. But the difference is that man's jealousy, though, is corrupted by sin and selfishness, whereas God's jealousy is completely pure, holy, and right in every aspect. Um, and we see that in with his relationship with Israel throughout the Old Testament. Uh, remember um, Hosea married a prostitute named Gomer? And that was a whole picture of God's relationship with Israel and how Israel kept being unfaithful to the Lord. And yet God still loved, but he was jealous when that happened. And he didn't like it. Um, and so uh, God's jealousy brings judgment. Um, and again, we see this in his relationship with Israel. God's jealousy brings vengeance on his enemies and the enemies of his people. God has the same jealous affection, though, for the New Testament believers. In James chapter number 4, I'm going to turn over there very quickly, and you can join me if you'd like. Um, but I'm going to start reading as soon as I land there. Okay, James chapter 4, verse number 4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, and is he talking about actual people who are actually committing you know, adultery with their spouses? Maybe, but... More than that, I think he's talking about those who are committing spiritual adultery, where they're uh, going walking away from their from the Lord that they love. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know that know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. And do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? There's that concept of jealousy here, where it's the Lord is jealous when we start walking away from Him and are unfaithful to Him and start running after the things of this world and, and the temptations that this world has to offer. So God is jealous. And again, this is not petty human jealousy, which is to be jealous or envious about what someone else has. Um, and so uh, with that, we'll end there and, and move on to the next one. God is merciful. God is merciful. How are we doing on time? We're doing okay. How many more do we have left? So, four more total. Okay. Hey, we're moving. We had nine to do. Man, I don't know if we're going to be able to do it. But let's keep moving. Let's not just talk about it. Let's keep moving. God is merciful, okay? Um, Exodus 24 and verse number 6 says, The Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands. Um, and uh, we read, His mercy endureth forever. Go to, uh, go to Psalm 136 very quickly. Psalm 136. I just want to show you this. This is kind of a, a key chapter in, in the book of Psalms. They're all, they're all important. They're all key chapters, but 
But Psalm is Psalm one thirty six has a unique attribute about this. It's got twenty six verses, and all twenty six verses end with the same phrase: "For His mercy endureth forever." And uh, I think on a Wednesday night uh, in the past um, here at Cornerstone, we read through this, and I read the first part of the verse, and then the congregation said, for his mercy endureth forever at every verse. And we walked through the entire chapter that way, and it was kind of neat to just get that emphasis of God's mercy. And that is the emphasis of this chapter. And it really starts and ends with the same thought here, O give thanks unto the God or unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Um, So uh, we see his mercy uh, mentioned many times. there's so many other references here. Uh, Psalm 86, 5, For thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive and plenteous in mercy unto all them that call upon thee. And later in that chapter, Psalm, 20, or Psalm 86, 15, Thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plentiness in mercy and truth. Um, Proverbs 28, 13, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. And Ephesians 2 and verse 4, it says, But God who is rich in mercy. Um, Mercy means kindness, goodness, favor, pity. And uh, it's the... Outward, outward manifestation of pity. Mercy refers to God's pity, kindness, and compassion towards needy sinners. So instead of inflicting pain, poverty, death, which are the wages of sin, which we all deserve, God has instead spared our lives, given us health, increased our blessings and comforts, and given us life, uh, the life of the ages. So you see even... People who are complete reprobates, completely pagan, um, who have perfect health and who are, you know, built and, and, and chiseled, you know, and you're like, man, look how blessed they are. And, you know, ooh, they've got a lot of followers on their Instagram and they make a ton of money on their YouTube channel and they're just flowing with money. Man, God is, that's not fair. Well, God's merciful to all of us. Remember, he's long-suffering to us, um, not willing that any should perish, but so he's long-suffering, and and that's found in his mercy. Now, of course, mercy means not receiving something that we deserve that's a punishment. So if our kids sin and are are disobeying and uh, it's time to punish them, and I say, you know what, I'm going to show you mercy so that you'll um, appreciate that and, and, and straighten up. That, that's what the Lord does for us at times as well. Now, all of us deserve, if we really wanted what's fair and what we deserve, we'd all be incinerated right now, we would be consumed, and we'd be in a place called hell. All of us. doesn't matter how well you were brought up, how moral or how good of a person you think you are, all of us deserve that. But because of God's mercy, he doesn't do that. He gives us opportunities to repent and come come to him for salvation. 
And uh, no wonder the psalmist takes time to say, for his mercy endureth forever. He, he recognized that, hey, look, this is, this is a big deal that God is merciful to us. Uh, God's mercy is rich, it's plenteous, it's great under the heavens, it's abundant. And uh, I'm thankful for that. When it says God's mercy is great in the heavens, it, it, it re- it's a reference to his, the fact that it is infinite. It is insufficient to save the entire, or it is sufficient, I'm sorry, to save the entire fallen race, to redeem the entire creation. And so, um, and just a reminder for those of us who are believers, look, we have received mercy, therefore now God does want us to give mercy to those who wrong us. And will that happen? <laughs> uh, all of us know that, yes, it does. I remember uh, just a couple weeks ago, I was driving on the, I think it was the 44 going west, and this this semi-truck driver um, who was not like part of a, he was, I think he was up to no good. That's my, that's my, that's my belief. Uh, but uh, he, he, he was kind of starting to cause a little road rage in me. <laughs> and uh, I wanted to get over, and he wouldn't let me. And I had my blinker on for a while, and I was just kind of waiting. And he just he sped up and just wouldn't let me. And I began to have a bad attitude towards this driver. And I thought, well, maybe my lane will go fast, and then I'll be able to get in there and, you know, get in front of him to show him, you know. And but his lane kept going faster, and I was like, "Oh well, I'm just going to have to show mercy here." Okay, um, not that I could have done anything. He was a much bigger vehicle than me. <laughs> uh, but anyway, that's the idea, though. When look, we have received great mercy. Therefore, then we need to show mercy for those who we feel like wronged us, and not to try to get even, not to try to um, let the Lord be the one to take care of that. And I thought, Lord, I'll let you take care of it. Maybe he'll get a ticket, something, you know, and I'll rejoice as I, I'll laugh at him as I drive by and see him pulled over. Um, it didn't happen, but uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, maybe the Lord will let me know what happened to him later. I don't know. <laughs> but we have received great mercy, so therefore we need to give great mercy to those in our lives. The next one is God not only is merciful, but God is gracious. And these two are very, very closely similar. And, and one verse that I want to give to kind of connect these two, merciful and gracious, is the most popular verse in the entire Bible. And in this verse, we see God's mercy and God's grace combined into this beautiful verse that we all know and love, John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him, here's the mercy part, shall not perish. Because see, that's what we all deserve, right? That's the mercy part of that verse, but the God's grace part of the verse is, but have everlasting life. See, getting something that we don't deserve that is good, and that verse shows both God's mercy and God's grace. 1 Peter 5.10 tells us that he is the God of all grace. 2 Corinthians 8.9, for ye know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, I I said this verse, I read this verse uh, last Sunday morning as we looked at the poor rich man. Uh, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that ye, through his poverty, 
might be rich. Ephesians 1.7, In whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. For by grace are you saved through faith, Ephesians 2 tells us. 2 Thessalonians 2.16, Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good, good hope through grace. Grace is another fundamental characteristic of our Almighty God. He is the God of all grace. Grace, which of course has many meanings, but when it is used in God's grace, it means in brief, unmerited and undeserved favor. It means acceptance, benefit, a favor done without expectation of return, the absolutely free expression of the loving kindness of God to men, finding its only motive in the bounty and benevolence of the giver. Grace is seen in its greatness in the cross of Christ. And uh, most people have heard the acrostic of grace, G-R-A-C-E, uh, God's riches at, anybody know the other two? Okay, I figured you had heard that, at Christ's expense. Um, and we did receive great riches at his expense, God's riches at Christ's expense. That's a great uh, definition of grace. Um, <clears throat> grace is the God of glory entering this vile world to redeem undeserving sinners through terrible suffering. Salvation by grace is salvation by faith without works as a free gift on the basis of the atonement of Christ. This is the true gospel of Christ. And it is the gospel of the grace of Christ, according to Galatians 1.6. Believers should live by grace and serve by grace. There is grace for exercising spiritual gifts, for establishing churches, grace to live a holy life in a wicked world, grace to meet the needs of God's people and God's businesses, uh, God's business, grace to endure trials and difficulties, grace to minister the word of God, grace to help in time of need, and grace to serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, as we talked about a moment ago. Next one. We're moving along here. How many more left after this? We're including this one. Two. Two. God is love. Look at this. We're getting there. God is love. Aren't you thankful for this particular attribute of God? Ephesians 2 verse 4 says, but God. Actually, let's turn to Ephesians. To get the full punch, to get the full weight of this, I love this little passage of Scripture. Ephesians 2. 1 through 5. Let's just look there and just kind of relish in this for a moment tonight. Ephesians 2, 1 says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So Paul here talks about our condition. Where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also uh, we had our conversation in times past, in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. And so this is, this is no bueno. This is bad news. Our condition is terrible. But then look at verse number four, and aren't you thankful for these two words, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, 
he hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. And so, yes, we were a mess, a complete, uh, complete royal mess. And, and yet, because of his love and his mercy and his grace, um, we can be saved. And uh, that, that's just an encouraging chapter and passage to me because that, that was me. I was in verse 2. And I was dead in trespasses and sins. And I was walking according to the course of this world. And I was uh, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And we were the nature, uh, by nature, the children of wrath. But God. But God. And uh, so he is love. Love is the very essence of God's character. God doesn't merely have love. He is love. And he is the source of all love. There is no other such God in all the world's religion, thought, and literature. The ancient pagan gods were hateful, mean, petty, changeable, and untrustworthy. Remember Zeus, learning about Zeus, the chief god of the Greeks? He hated Prometheus for giving the gift of fire to mankind because Zeus did not want the best for them. The same is true of Hindu gods. One of the Hindu gods Uh, Shiva cut off the head of his own son in a jealous rage. Allah is said to love, but he only loves those who obey him. But see, only the God of the Bible loves. Yes, he loves those who obey him, but he also loves sinners and provided for their salvation. So God loves means God's love means that he is patient and long suffering. Um. God's long-suffering is phenomenal. Each believer can give testimony to God's great patience in our lives. God waited for a long time in the days of Noah before pouring out his judgment upon deserving mankind. I mean, it, had it been us on the throne, we probably would have been like, zap them all. Let's just start over. This is, this is ridiculous. They're, they're doing things that are just unspeakable. Let's zap them all. The fact that our country is still moving forward is a testimony to God's patience and love. I mean, when you consider, now I'm thankful for the Supreme Court situation there that is uh, hopefully going to overturn Roe v. Wade. But even still, once that gets overturned, which I hope it does and think it will, even then, there's still going to be states that are going to say, you know what, we're still going to have, we're going to be a state that is... um, what do they call that? A uh, sanctuary state for abortion. If you want that, come live in our state or come cross the border to get that done. I'm thankful that uh, Oklahoma is not going to be one of those states. Um, but here's the deal. With all that, God is love and long-suffering to us. Um, he's waiting today um, because of his love for men and his desire to save them. A man must not presume upon God's patience. Because it does have an end date, and his judgment will certainly come upon all that refuse his son. Um, God's love means that he is reasonable and approachable. Remember Isaiah 118, Come now and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God's love drew salvation's plan and was displayed on in its greatness on the cross of Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. 
God's love was seen at Calvary and that he was willing to allow his son to suffer in the place of unworthy sinners. God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So many more verses could be said on that. Um, but uh, in 1 John chapter number 4, it is said twice in that chapter that God is love. Last one, God is good. God is, God is good. The Bible emphasizes that God is good, and it's an encapsulation of his entire character. Psalm 34 and verse number 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Um, a lot of times when something is being cooked or some type of food that um, is talked about, I'll say, oh, I don't like that. And my wife will ask the question, oh, yeah, well, have you ever tried it? And I'm like, no, but I don't like it. <laughs> it looks gross. It sounds like it's going to be gross. And so I don't like it. And she's like, well, how do you know you don't like it if you've never tried it? I just, I just, so she's encouraged me to try some things. Some things I'm not a big fan of. I'm not a big fan of hummus. Are there any other anti-fans of hummus? Okay, thank you. I just think that's kind of just gross to even think about what it even is. And I don't, I don't, even, I, I don't even like it, but my, my wife and kids like it, and it's just good for you. Um, and uh, artichoke, she cooks, art, like boils artichoke, and then uses butter and dips that artichoke in butter, and then scrapes it on the bottom. It's disgusting. Okay, are there any anti-artichoke people in the room? Okay, thank you. Okay, good. Lima beans. Okay. Any anti-lima bean fans? Okay. Okay, good. Okay, there's some godly... I knew this. there was a spiritual crowd in this church. Um, so there are some things that aren't good, but I'm telling you what, God is good, and, and you do need to taste and see that God is good. Guacamole has been one of those things when I was first married. I, I thought it was nasty. It looks nasty. And then my wife kept talking to me about it. Like She's like, okay, good, more for me, but it's good. You're gonna, you would love it if you tried it. And I'm like, I don't want to try it. It looks gross. And so I finally tried it, and I'm like, okay, actually, that you're right. This is pretty good. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, bummer, <laughs> less for me. And so... Uh, but, but look, when it comes to the Lord, we, we need to taste, and when you really put him to the test, you'll find that he is a good God. Psalm 52, 1, the goodness of God endureth continually. Psalm 86, 5, for thou, Lord, art good and ready to forgive, plenteous in mercy unto all that call upon thee. Psalm 105, for the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, his truth endureth to all generations. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. Uh, that verse is found three different times in the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalm 107, uh, verses 8 and 15 say the same thing. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Psalm 119, 68, Thou art good and doest good. Teach me thy statutes. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good, Psalm 135, 3 says. Um, and then Romans, I'll just kind of wrap it up here with Romans 2, 4. The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. And uh, when, when you think about 
how God orchestrated your salvation, the different aspects of how the Lord brought you to the gospel and the gospel to you. Um, what was what attribute of God was at play there? Of course, God's love, but but according to Romans two four, the goodness of God was at was there. You know, my my dad and mom were not saved. Uh, they became Christians not very long before I was born. And and what God was doing in my dad's heart to begin searching for truth, and him. <clears throat> leaving the Catholic Church and and uh, looking for truth and trying to figure out what the Bible says and instead of just all the tradition that they had been used to and accustomed to as a family. And him coming to Christ and, and and being saved and then meeting my mom and, and talking to her about salvation and she getting saved and then they were soon married and then pretty soon there was a very good-looking baby boy born to them named Eric, and they began saying, hey, we've got this little kid. We need to start taking him to church, and in that, I began hearing the gospel over and over and over again, and one day, as I've shared with you many, many times on Christmas night, 1988, I was going through my Royal Rangers book trying to get to the next level to become a pioneer. I came to that question, please write the date that you got saved when you asked Christ to be your Savior, when you believed on Christ. And I remember thinking, man, I've heard about it, I've heard about it, I've heard about it. And look, all the different pieces to get that to get me to that point, the goodness of God leads us to repentance. And so you can think back to how God brought you to salvation, and the goodness of God was at play there in getting you to that point. All right, we made it. All nine attributes tonight. Praise the Lord. Uh, we're a uh, little, little longer than I wanted to, but hey, we made it, and uh, we'll, we'll uh, call that a victory tonight. Let's pray, and uh, we'll uh, look at some prayer requests very quickly before we're dismissed tonight. Lord, we do thank you for your love for us. Thank you for who you are, for all the attributes that we've studied tonight. And Lord, each one is, is precious, and Lord, help us to live in light of those truths of who you are. Lord, it's good to get to know you, and I'm thankful, Lord, that uh, we're reminded of some of these truths. I know many of us have learned these before, but maybe it's been a while. And uh, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to uh, worship you and live for you afresh and anew because of who you are. Well, thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Let's look here very quickly at some prayer requests. I want to give a quick update.